Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. So welcome back everyone to a Pain Talk podcast. In this podcast, we're going to talk about chronic pain, but also in 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 reference to uh, how we're managing uh, our chronic pain in this COVID-19 pandemic. It is such an important topic. Uh, so we're talking all things COVID today, and it, it is a crazy time, there's no question. And it feels like most of us are feeling like we're in survival mode because this is being driven by a lot of different things, but by far it's being driven by fear, which comes from the uncertainty and unpredictability. And we're being asked to put a tremendous amount of trust in our public health officials, uh, in our um, you know, our politicians, when we've always had a certain amount of, of, of uncertainty and distrust, I guess. I'm not sure if it would be distrust would be the proper word. Um, but we are asked to be putting a tremendous amount of trust and we're coming at this experience with whatever resiliency we've had through our life, as well as our vulnerabilities. And we all have vulnerabilities and we all have strengths or resiliencies. And this, this COVID epidemic is not just affecting us from a health perspective. It's coming at us in uncertainties in many ways. So about our own health, uh, as well as our family's health but also the health of our financial situation. So it is uh, coming at us from different angles. So I'm here to tell you, though, that we're going to get through this, that COVID-19 will end. There will be a vaccine. Um, I really strongly feel that our world and its priorities may change. Um, and we often talk about moments or uh, certain events in our life that kind of change how we see ourselves or see things. So these are these these life-changing moments that change the trajectory of our own uh, life. And all of us are on that same trajectory. We're on this road that has impacted and defined our life in a very unique way. And the road that we take is really up to us, but we are truly in this all together. So we don't have any power over the virus, but we do have power over how the trajectory happens. So it's more important about us looking at how we use this time. So in many levels, I do feel that the COVID-19 pandemic is really a wake-up call, not only for ourselves, but also our planet. It is a time to reflect and reevaluate re sort of our own values, our own goals, um, we um, are in this, though, as I mentioned, together, and that we do have some control over how we move forward. The most important thing is that facts matter. And in this age of, you know, connectability through the social media is that there's a lot of mis mixed messages that are out there. So facts do matter. We also need to believe that we've got this. And hopefully we'll bring in some factual uh, information in this podcast. So how are we going to get through this? Well, it really depends. It really depends on the choices that we make and also recognizing that we do have some control over how we respond to this pandemic, um, even though at times it feels like we have no control. So we bring all of our experiences to this pandemic, the habits and behaviors that we've used in our life to get through this, uh, to get through our lives, in fact. Um, and uh, some of these habits and behaviors help build that resiliency that we talked about, but some increase 
our vulnerabilities. And I think about some of the habits and behaviors that we can get into that increase our vulnerability, including these numbing habits that we can get into, whether it's food, whether it's, uh, you know, having a drink at night, whether it's having a cigarette. So those kinds of habits and behaviors get us through the moment, but they don't really help us get through it in the long term. Those fears and uncertainties come back uh, and uh, affect us uh, just as soon as we're able to uh, kind of use that habit and behavior. So it is important that we recognize that uh, all of us are going to come at this differently. Um, just because I have a job that uh, pays me well doesn't mean that I don't have significant vulnerabilities. Uh, but those that have some financial stresses are going to be impacted greatly. So we need to, as a community, to be able to reach out to individuals who are truly suffering financially and support those individuals. We need to focus in on some basic needs of housing, you know, how we put food on our table, all of those kinds of things. So other habits and behaviors that we might have that can build some resiliency are the habits and behaviors that we've used to get us to this point. So if you're someone who has a daily gratitude practice, then what you're going to see is you're going to see the light in this darkness. So you're going to look at uh, what kinds of, of uh, tools you have and how these things are making us feel more uh, safe and more at peace. So if you have a mindful practice around breathing every day, that's something that's going to take you out of that survival mode and bring your brain to that place of calm. So now where the challenges can be significant for people who are living with chronic pain, some of these habits and behaviors that we've used to help us get through the, the, uh, our life in the long term around chronic pain are things that we're not able to access. Uh, so our clinics have been closed. Our access to pain specialists has been limited. Um, if you're someone that uh, uses an interventional practice like facet joint injections, you know, every, every three months and you were due for that injection uh, coming up in the next week or so, that's all been changed because of these uh, physical distancing policies that are in place. So that creates a lot of uncertainty and, and challenges us to think of other ways that we can manage our pain other than those interventional practices. So th this is huge for patients who live with chronic pain. Um, so not accessing those pain specialists, those massage therapists, the osteopaths that you've, that you've accessed in the past, um, you're not going to be able to access those, those right now, but you will be able to access those in the future. But really what we need to be able to do is to say, how can we get through this now? So we do need a lot of patience with ourselves as well as some self-compassion. It was really interesting for me. Uh, I'm one of these people that one of the habits and behaviors that I have is to get up very early in the morning and go run on a treadmill at the gym. But what I realized is why it never worked for me at home is that I really enjoy the social connection of the group of individuals that I go to the gym with. And I really find that I missed that connection to those uh, individuals who had nothing to do with my profession, uh, but more or less were just people that I had spent a tremendous amount of morning time with uh, throughout the many years that I've gone to the gym. And I found myself for a while kind of paralyzed by the inability to go to the gym. And then finally I said, well, you know what, I need to find something different. And so I decided to start focusing more on my uh, rather than my physical wellness, but my my uh, psychological wellness. So I started to look at more on doing that mindful breathing 
but also being able to try something very basic with yoga. I hate yoga. I hate that kind of activity. But I was able to find a very good program online that was very simple, that just allowed me to kind of flow into different uh, uh, positions uh, and just felt like I was accomplishing something, even though it was not a intense practice, but it felt like I did something. And so um, it's really interesting how there can be opportunity in this pandemic to maybe start looking at other forces and factors that can help build resiliency in us that maybe we never would have considered in the past. Like I was never someone that would consider doing yoga, although I've tried it in the past because people keep saying that it's such a wonderful thing. Um, but to be able to try it and engage in it and to actually push myself through the the giving up too quickly kind of mantra, I'm finding that it's making me feel very good, especially when I can do that practice in the morning. So as I say, there's, there's no playbook for this. This is all uh, new for all of us. And so seeing these new opportunities, uh, be willing to go there. Another, another challenge that I've had, and I'm sure many of us feel this challenge, is trying to do that mindful practice, which is really uh, learning to calm the breathing and to take us, ourselves out of that survival mode into that thinking mode or that calm mode. And I'm one of these individuals that as soon as I start to do that practice, immediately things start to enter into my brain. And I've learned to have to give myself some forgiveness around that and then pull myself back. So even just starting with 10 seconds, you know, once or twice a day, that I can do, that I can accomplish, and then trying to build five seconds onto that makes me feel that I'm making, I'm making some kind of uh, progress or making some kind of an accomplishment. So I just want to come back for a second to trust because the fear and uncertainty, as I mentioned, require us to uh, begin to trust our uh, politicians, uh, trust our uh, healthcare providers, as well as our um, the bureaucracy around how healthcare institutions are run. And I look at what is happening. I can only speak to my own province, but I can also talk nationally that we have some amazing individuals who are in charge. Is it perfect? No. But they reacted quickly. The uh, promotion around the physical distance uh, while staying socially connected came through in droves. I can look at Nova Scotia. I thought initially that, wow, this is going to be crazy, but it's amazing how whole uh, institutions, and I look at the Nova Scotia Health Authority, how all of a sudden we came into this uh, uh, period of time where all of a sudden the bureaucratic uh, barriers are not there anymore. Uh, that when we want to get things done that are in the best interest of the patient as well as trying to keep us safe, then these things start to happen. So I've seen this incredible connectability in the wonderful work of our politicians, but also my colleagues, um, how we are trying to come together. There is a trial and error uh, in this process, but we are coming together and we are getting it done, which I think is incredible. So trying to push out the noise and misinformation is difficult. And I'll be honest, I'm one of these people that checks in CNN. I have a sister who lives in New York. I have a sister that lives in California. It has been terrifying to watch the news. I've been reassured about what's happening in California, but I've been absolutely terrified for the safety of my sister in New York. Although she's a very sensible individual, it's still very scary to not be able to hear from her on a regular basis and to know that she's okay. 
it is just so tragic what happens when there isn't that commitment to a federal government uh, and also trying to play catch up uh, when this this virus is just overwhelming a, a community. And I look at New York with such sadness, um, but it is also a very resilient city and it will come back. So it is very hard to turn off CNN or the other radio stations, and I have no shares, obviously, in those uh, those news agencies. Um, but I, what it's making me feel is incredible gratitude for our public health care system in Canada, as well as our um, health care system in general in Canada, as well as the training of our uh, health care providers and also the connectability, even what we're finding in our emergency department is how close we are to the cleaning staff. We've always had that relationship in our institution. We realize how important their work is and how hard their work is, but it's just really reinforced that. And we always do check-ins with each other uh, just to make sure everybody's doing okay. And I must say, there's a part of me that feels a little bit more irritable and restless, but I do also feel incredibly connected and, and grateful for uh, the healthcare system and the public healthcare system that we have uh, in Canada. The other thing that's so important is that as an emergency department physician, I've never felt so ready to um, manage this or come at this uh, in, infectious uh, pandemic head on. I don't feel any hesitation. I feel that I'm well protected when I'm gowning my protective gear. Um, the only strange thing that I find, and I'm sure that Darcy would say the same thing, is that it is very eerily quiet in the emergency departments. It's like we've all been told that there is a disaster coming. And in our medical community, Code Orange would be the disaster and that we need to get everything ready, that there is going to be a mass influx. And what's happening is that, yes, we are getting an influx, but they're very manageable and we're not being overtaxed. Um, but we still feel this uncertainty that we're going to get this huge surge. So it almost feels like the paramedics have patched in a two-bus crash, uh, they've got multiple victims, and they're telling us just to get ready. So the other thing that we're doing in our department to, to fill some of this time is actually simulation. So we're practicing both in the adult and the pediatric population with um, the wonderful work that one of my colleagues is doing, Dr. Tanya Sullivan, uh, and Ian Causey, who is one of the nurses uh, in our department, they are movers and shakers around simulation. And they have been doing this now for a few years, but the simulation has made a huge difference uh, to us during this COVID epidemic, meaning that we can practice uh, and imagine difficult scenarios so that we can make sure that we're providing the best care possible to um, the, the individuals that are coming in through, um, through the emergency department. So there are, just coming back to chronic pain as well, um, is that we know that there are unique challenges for individuals who are living with persistent pain. In some ways, they have some skill set dealing with unknowns in our medical community and have also learned that doctors often don't have all the answers, just like our public health officials don't have all the answers. So in some ways, there is some resiliency in patients who live with chronic pain in the sense that they are uniquely qualified uh, to kind of deal with that uncertainty, but it still doesn't make it any easier. But there are some unique uh, characteristics of patients who are living with chronic pain. 
So chronic pain uh, sufferers, however, uh, experience increased risks of anxiety. That, that alarm system, because of the persistent pain, is on 24-7. So in many ways, they are on in that survival mode. So this increases the risk of anxiety. It increases the risk of depression, as well as it causes some depletion to the adrenals, which are really our, um, our part of our alarm system where we, when we're having a stressful response or our body is dealing with illness, what we do is we have these adrenals that secrete uh, all this alarm chemistry. And patients who are living with chronic pain are often in that chronically depleted state. So it's super important that they're able to build resiliency um, by replenishing uh, the adrenals. So this happens by trying to create that structure and routine, but also trying to get uh, some rest and some sleep when you need to. So not pushing through uh, pain, not increasing the risk of flare-ups. So flare-ups often will just increase the depletion of those adrenals. So the other challenge is that chronic pain generally um, is an illness that does cause some disconnection, but as patients develop or individuals develop uh, strategies to manage it, they start to become more uh, connected in the community. And what COVID has done is it actually has created us, it's created more disconnection. So we're actually becoming more isolated, even though humans need connection. We need to be part of that tribe uh, that we're supporting each other, that we're protecting each other. It is just so important to human survival. And so this, this pandemic um, what it has done is it's caused more disconnection. So it has actually um, helped in some ways to protect us from a health perspective, but it actually has increased our vulnerability to social isolation. So we need to find ways to be connected uh, to uh, people that matter in our life and the things that matter in our life. And this is where social media is playing a huge role. And I see that in healthcare as well, that we're trying to connect with patients through the use of iPhones and iPads, uh, visual uh, uh, videotaping, as well as uh, different modalities like Zoom. It's just really interesting to see how those are starting to come in the forefront. So that isolation has a risk because the more disconnected we become, the more isolated we become, the more the alarm gets loud. Because if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, is that humans are designed for connection, we're designed for mobility. When we become disconnected and less mobile, we're actually more vulnerable as a species to predators. So from our evolutionary brain, our brain starts to get more agitated, right? It's trying to tell us to get moving, to try and get more connected because otherwise we're more vulnerable. So that isolation for someone who lives with persistent pain can actually increase their pain. So it's important to recognize uh, that that social isolation can actually increase your pain. So it's almost important for patients with persistent pain to see this as something to expect and to start to think about strategies you can use to try and get that uh, pain intensity down uh, so that you're not experiencing intense flare-ups on a regular basis. So um, the whole thing around COVID, not only is pain getting worse, anxiety can get worse, not sleeping as well as we need to, and that pain intensity can increase. So the physical distancing 
um, has and the closing of services that that chronic pain patients use every day has really thrown a wrench into all the mechanisms that pain sufferers use to control the pain as well as their fatigue. So it it this this distancing mandates that you've had to eliminate your acupuncture appointments, your massage, as we mentioned, as well as those routines around exercise, but even going out. Uh, if you're used to going to a certain, uh, uh, and I'm just thinking of a track that we have uh, on our university, well, that's been closed, but that's a nice soft surface. That's a nice flat surface. So patients with chronic pain that walk on that surface, they know how it feels. So asking them to go to another surface can bring some unpredictability because uneven surfaces increase the risk of um you know, they can increase the risk of, of falls, they can increase the risk of uh, developing pain flare-ups. There's also reaching the individuals that have helped us from a mental health perspective that we may not be able to access as well. So uh, yeah, a number of challenges. So what, what's happening is that we're having to rely more on developing those uh, strategies on our own and to be uh, going into an area that maybe we're not that comfortable with, but that that it's okay in order to reach out um, to, you know, looking on, on uh, the internet, looking for things that are going to be helpful. And a great example would be that very simplistic uh, yoga program you know, that that allowed me to engage without putting too much effort. But if you're someone that really that is going to be difficult sitting in a chair and doing some of those maneuvers so that your body and your brain feel that you're actually moving. So I want to talk a little bit too about chronic illness, uh, chronic pain and immunosuppression. You often hear that patients with chronic pain are immunosuppressed. And from a healthcare perspective, I find that um, a little bit challenging to wrap my head around. Because when we think about immunosuppression, we're thinking about conditions that literally do suppress the immune system. So this would be patients that are on steroids. This would be patients who have an illness like diabetes who often have some immunosuppression, or they have inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis in conjunction with their chronic pain. But chronic pain as a disease in its own right is generally not something that suppresses the immune system. The stress and the anxiety and the constant alarm does challenge our immune system, but we do have the ability to fill our tanks, right? So we do have a fill, uh, an ability to replenish our adrenals that I did mention before. This becomes a little bit more challenging when it requires, uh, when a, a condition like rheumatoid arthritis in a patient who's having to use an auto uh, immune suppressive drug like methotrexate or hydroxychloroquine that we talk about uh, with, uh, you know, in, in the COVID crisis, those types of medications actually um, help to dampen down the immune response, but actually help the, um, uh, the patient who lives with an inflammatory illness to actually be able to have some quality of life. But if someone is living with chronic pain alone, generally the, the immune system can be replenished. Um, not to say that people with rheumatoid arthritis should not be using some of those skills to, to replenish their uh, adrenal uh, glands as well, chemistry, sorry, uh, as well. Just a couple of things then to try and build that resiliency around your adrenals. So things that are going to build that include that social connection that we talked about, chatting with groups of friends, um, reaching out to, uh, to family through Skype. Um, and, I, and I'm one of these people that is not um, orientated very well to technology. But when I saw my 87-year-old mother Skype with her daughter in California, she shamed me into it. So being able to use technology, I think, or challenge ourselves 
ourselves to use a technology is very important. There can also be benefit of just getting out of the house and disconnecting from the TV. And that's probably one of the hardest things that I find to work with. But when you go outside and you breathe the air and you listen to the birds, especially this time of year where we're starting to see some spring um, or we start to feel the wind on our face or the even the warmth of the sun on our face, it kind of gives us a reality check. And you realize that the world is still going on There is, and there's safety in that. Um, as well, as long as you're maintaining that distance from one another, uh, you, you, obviously the people in your home, you could be close to, but you're trying to keep that distance away from people that are not part of that home situation. But it's important to realize that when you go out and you feel the warmth of the sun and you feel that wind, that is reality. And just kind of breathing that in, you can also just even go out and walk around your home for 10 minutes. If it's a safe place, if it feels safe, because this is the other thing that's important is that when you're moving or walking, that surface has to feel safe. So, um, you need to find a safe space. It's just the idea of moving. That's going to be really important. So it's important as well, and I'm going to try and get Virginia McIntyre back. And as you know, she is an individual who lives with persistent pain. And just to get it from the uh, how she's doing, but also how she's uh, connecting with other individuals who are living with chronic pain, and maybe pr- share some some tips uh, and uh, some information for for everyone. So there are a number of uh, groups, and if you go into the Nova Scotia Health Authority, the chronic pain um, network. Uh, there may be some um, connections that you can look at. The other thing that I find helpful is even just going into uh, supports or uh, platforms that can provide very interesting information around how to manage stress or depression. I think of TED Talks. Those are really interesting sometimes, and they can challenge us in in different ways of looking at things. But the important thing is that self-care is the key when you're living with chronic pain. So asking yourself what you can control and what you can't control. So trying to accept where the pain is right now, that there's not a lot you can do about the social distancing or these physical distancing rules that are out there. We have no control over, um, you know, what how COVID will behave. We can only protect ourselves and protect our loved ones. So it's hugely stressful as well. Our kids are not are not in school. We don't have that that quiet time that we're used to. So what we need to try and accept those and we need to find other solutions at this time. And who knows, some of these solutions actually may be very helpful. Uh, We can use those to build that resiliency in how we're managing our pain because we've all been tried tremendously. Um, So finding things around uh, moving every 30 minutes, you know, setting your alarm, you know, taking those extra baths if you can, that meditation and that journaling. So self-care is so critical at this time, especially for those with chronic pain. Um, so, and when you're trying to adjust, you know, with your life now, it's okay to grieve all the things that you had prior to this and all the things that feel like they're gone. Um, and maybe you're not going to be able to get them back. If you've been working so hard around limiting your flare ups by doing a pacing routine, or, and this is something where you've been going to a certain center, whether it's in the water, it's at the gym, um, just know that those uh, those those habits and the behaviors will come back, even though it feels like we've kind of lost. We haven't. We know that those things are going to help us. The other thing that's so important is to try and focus on gratitude that we mentioned before. So each day, looking at what's going right, not what's going wrong. Um, I think it's really important. So that self compassion. 
to have patience with ourselves, to feel that gratitude. All of those things are important. When you're starting to focus on that worst case scenario, um, try to shift that thinking. So bringing in the facts, not the what ifs. Is there something I can do to refocus? And this is where you kind of shift from that survival brain to that uh, thinking brain or that calming brain. So when you feel like, yes, I could die from this, this is what I'm hearing on the news, then saying, look, you know, I've got these kinds of things that are happening with my health. These are good things that are happening. I'm trying to eat properly. I'm trying to create that structure and routine. So what are the things that I'm doing to keep myself healthy so that my body can uh, be able to manage this illness. The other thing that's important is to realize that the majority of people do recover from the COVID. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second here. So is there something I can do to refocus bringing in those facts, like I mentioned, and talking about all these different things. So other things to appreciate. I mean, I, I must say I'm enjoying my cat and dog. I'm not sure they're enjoying me as much anymore, but looking at at that uh, non-conditional uh, looking at that, uh, those types of things in our lives that are actually quite uh, enjoyable. Um, and I've seen a couple of uh, YouTube videos that are quite funny where, especially cats, where cats are used to having their space and now suddenly everybody's around and they don't like it very much. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, setting really good goals each day for yourself to help you focus on something very small, not something big. So maybe that something small might be, you know, 10 seconds of breathing that we talked about, just practicing that mindful breathing for 10 seconds, maybe once or twice a day. So we're going to end the podcast there and uh, pick it up next week, looking deeper into the coronavirus facts. Remember to give yourself some slack this week. You and we, meaning I, are doing the best we can with what we have at this moment. So we all come to this experience, like I mentioned, with the resiliency and the vulnerabilities that we've had through our life. None of us has the playbook on how to, to best approach this. Uh, be open to change, but do it in small steps and focus on what's going right in your life and not what's, what, what if or what, what would happen if I did this differently. Stay safe. Stay distant, wash your hands often, and continue to connect socially. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.